The Daily Rios for Thursday, October 29th, 2015. Hey everybody, this is Peter. This is an episode, another October catch-up episode, answering some listener feedback I've been sitting on for a while, since most likely they will uh, elicit a longer response from me than just a casual comment here or there. So I thought, well, why not devote uh, an episode to two listener feedbacks um, that, as I said, um, we'll probably have a lengthier discussion behind them. Also, they are both about comic book-related TV shows or movies. So not necessarily about comics, but about comics and other media. So I thought this would be a great episode to kind of pair them together. So we're going to start with a response from Jerry McMullen about episode 311, which was entitled, What Could Have Been? And that episode was where I take uh, I, where I took a look at um, what if there was an alternate universe where the movies Batman Begin and Superman Returns were mega blockbusters, and what would those movies have done to the DC cinematic universe? Uh, this was, again, episode 311, and you have to figure... Superman Returns came out in 2006. Batman Begins came out in, was it 2005, I believe? Um, anyway, regardless, they if they would have come out and if they would have been mega blockbusters and, and movie execs would have said, oh, wow, look at these movies. Let's start a whole DC cinematic universe. Let's connect them, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I thought, how would that have changed l- the landscape of the movie universe, especially compared to, say, Marvel's Cinematic Universe, which didn't come out um, until, well, Iron Man came out, what, 2008, 2009. So that would have been something very, very different, right? It would have been a a couple of years earlier, and what would it have done to the DC movie and TV landscape? Now, the other element to it that I talked about was how both of those movies... Uh, Superman Returns, and how the trilogy of Batman, uh, of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, how it ended up, I should say, how they both dealt with um, bringing in elements to their respective stories that do not exist within the comic books, most notably with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character in the Dark Knight trilogy and with the son of Superman in Superman Returns, and how... So that was like the second part of the conversation. Um, interesting takes on on characters that we're familiar with and adding in new elements. Um, so one didn't necessarily have to do with the other, um, just that it could have influenced, um, you know, the the DC cinematic universe had they gone forward and had they done a second Superman movie that dealt more about they about the kid had they done more Batman movies, but now it was star starring Joseph Gordon Levitt. So it was kind of like those two ideas meshed into one. All right. So Jerry, who uh, runs the essential showcase.com website, which is a look at DC essentials, uh, excuse me, Marvel essentials and DC showcase volumes. And he analyzes them and, and does a quick review on each of them. Uh, it's a pretty great website. He's also one of the co-hosts on worst comic 
podcast ever. So in response to this episode, he says, first he said in a Twitter post, he says, interesting theory about the DC Cinematic Universe, but I think it all falls apart in 2011 with Green Lantern. And which I responded and said, well, I purposely didn't mention that since that was post-DC Entertainment restructure in 2009, different movie slate. So then he asked if he could write an email to respond further, and this is what he says. He said, I listened to the podcast on my drive into work, so right from the start here, I will admit that I did not give the podcast all 100% of my attention. For that matter, something you said may have triggered a thought in my head that I focused on more than what you were actually saying. Regarding DC Entertainment, my thought was that since you introduced the TV shows, such as Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, which DC Entertainment is nominally involved, into the conversation, then that should allow the Green Lantern movie to enter the conversation as well. Yes, movies and TV are two different business units, but both are under the DC Entertainment umbrella. My perception was that you were using one unit to support your position, but, but avoided the other unit because it doesn't help the cause. I don't think the Green Lantern movie has ever helped anyone. The other point, well, let me, let me address that one first. So, um, uh, the only reason why I brought up the TV shows was to eventually get to Legends of Tomorrow, which was another um, element within the idea of doing something different on a move in a movie or on a TV show that doesn't necessarily translate back to comics. So you know you can have an Arrow TV show, but it translates back to Green Arrow comics. You can have a Flash TV show, Flash comics. Uh, iZombie, Constantine, etc. But Legends of Tomorrow doesn't necessarily have uh, a counterpart. I think the closest I got was 52. It kind of feels like 52 um, in the sense that they are mixing in all these various characters and they're going up against a big bad and it has might have something to do with time. I don't know. Um, and further, it was really to talk about the element of well, like I said, of adding something different and taking a chance on creating something different for a movie or TV show. So I wasn't using the TV shows to support the idea that they somehow spun out of the uh, the um, uh, Batman Begins or Superman Returns mentality or way of thinking. Uh, it was more about, you know, why why not take chances on doing something different? So that's really why I brought in the TV shows. And it was way at the end of the episode. Um, and, and again, um, I wasn't using them to support that uh, position just to talk about it, um, talk about that idea of new stuff. All right. So let me go back to this email. Um, the other point I heard or focused on, which may or may not have been what you actually said, is that if Superman Returns had performed better, you were envisioning a DC Cinematic Universe built on the success of the Nolan Batman feel, films along with the Superman film. Trust me, I would have loved to have seen something like that. But the next films to feature DC properties following Dark Knight in 2008 were Jonah Hex in 2010, which I think was too far along in the process to view that as a DC Entertainment production, and Green Lantern in 2011. 
He continues, if we did get a DCCU back then, I don't know that the schedule of films already in production would have helped them out. And for this conversation, I know I am leaving out the Watchmen film from 2009 since that's never been part of the DCU, so would not consider it in the DCCU. <laughs> DC Cinematic Universe is what he's saying there. So, um, again, to clarify, the idea of this whole thing about what if the DC Cinematic Universe had been affected by these movies, it was after watching, doing a rewatch of Superman Returns because um, my girlfriend and I were watching it. Uh, in, an, um, in anticipation of Man of Steel, I had her watch Superman 1 and Superman 2, and we were supposed to watch Superman Returns, not because they connected, but just because I wanted her to see the Superman universe as it developed in the movie universe. Um, but we never got we never got to Superman Returns. So we saw Man of Steel, and it wasn't until whenever I did this episode... Uh, a few days before it, that we had watched Superman Returns. And sitting there watching Superman Returns made me think, wow, what if that movie would have been a blockbuster? Now, yes, I am adding, when you add in this idea about new concepts, the new concept of Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't happen until the third Batman movie. But I don't think they would have changed Christopher Nolan's ideas um, too much, Um had Superman Returns been a blockbuster? Maybe they would have. I don't know. So even if I took out the Dark Knight Rises movie and just stuck with Superman Returns, uh, again, still, imagine if Batman Begins and Superman Returns were the cause of a new DC Cinematic Universe. And since Superman Returns came out in 2006, I'm not even... That's why I don't look at the slate coming after it, because... Uh, as he says, Jonah Hex didn't come out to 2010. Green Lantern didn't come out to 2011. So again, they never would have factored. They might have totally derailed or they might have gone in different directions. You know, if you look at the development of Green Lantern as a movie, apparently it had been in development since 1997 um, with Greg Berlanti, which was kind of interesting because, because now he's all over Flash and, and Supergirl. So he was hired in October 2007, a year and a few months after Superman Returns. And then Martin Campbell was brought in in February 2009, so another almost year and a half. Um, and the actors were chosen, were, were cast for the movie between July 2009 and February 2010. And filming of Green Lantern didn't take place till March of 2010. Now, we have to remember DC restructured in September of 2009. So that's three years between Superman Returns and when DC restructured. So again, my point is, had Superman Returns been a hit, that whole Green Lantern thing might have become something totally different. So it's taking it out of the timeline that we got. It's taking it away from everything that came after and just focusing on... Uh, Superman Returns, and had Christopher Nolan continued his trilogy as is, who knows where else we might have gone. I think that could have been. And we would have been in a in a universe that, uh, as I talked about in the previous episode, we would have been in a, in a universe that was already changed from those first two movies, or the first movie of Superman Returns and the trilogy of Batman. Um, you know, a, a, a Superman that already has a son, a Batman that already has a new partner. That's where all of that, that's where my brain goes. That's the cinematic universe I wanted to see. Um, you know, 
movie universes, movie movie timelines change a lot. I mean, you know, so look at that. Greg Berlanti was hired in 2007. A new director was in February 2009. So to say that we would have gotten the same Green Lantern movie had Superman Returns been a mega hit, that just doesn't, I just don't see that happening. So, but I'm, that's why I take it out of the equation and just focus on um, Superman Returns and the trilogy of, uh, of Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. So, you know, that's a long way to sort of explain the whole thing. But hopefully that makes a little more sense for Jerry's part. And he does preface it by saying, you know, maybe he might have um, misheard some things there. All right. Speaking of DC TV, David in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, this is back in August, actually, sent a tweet that asked, since I devoted a full episode on the entirety of my Heroes rewatch, could I do the same for Arrow? Well, I'll do you one better, David. I'll do a bunch of updates along the way. I am currently only in the middle of season one. Uh, I'm at the end of the first nine episodes, which is where season one took its mid-season break. So this is a perfect time to drop my thoughts. Uh, I'll start off by saying I like it. I really like the Arrow TV show, the first, the only nine episodes I've seen so far. Um... You know, I'm a little out of the loop when it comes to Arrow feedback or Arrow, Arrow fandom. I don't know how the TV series hit when it first came out, especially considering that it came out after Smallville, 10 years of Smallville, and we had already seen a Green Arrow in that universe, a Green Arrow that was okay. Um, I, I certainly like this Arrow much better, and I like the this Arrow universe. We never would have gotten this universe had we continued with that green arrow that we got from Smallville. Um, so, again, I don't know what the impact was. Were people a little standoffish because it was a different arrow? Or did they jump in and allow it to grow on its own? Um, I don't know how the series progresses. I don't know which seasons are the standouts. Does it dip? Does it build nicely with its with its storytelling? Does it get a little darker? Does it get a little, you know, lighter? I don't know. I like it so far. I kept hearing people say that, you know, Arrow was so dark and bleak. And I'm not sure I get that. Um, I'm not saying that it's lighthearted like The Flash, but the actor playing um, Ollie, Stephen Amell, um, you know, he's not playing it very grim and dark, um, you know, He's not playing Ollie that way. Maybe he's playing Arrow that way. But even in the nine episodes, he's kind of lightened up a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, maybe seeing it back to back, I'm not immersed in all of that bleakness. Um, I really see where Flash TV show, where the Flash TV show gets its development from. Because with even with these first nine episodes the story is progressing nicely. It's it's moving along. It's taking us on these different paths. And, um, you know, I'm going to get a little in-depth here about it. So if you haven't seen Arrow, maybe you shouldn't listen. But so I think the show could have done... Um, it could have been a season just about, oh, my God, who is this Archer? And he's taking out names on the list and and it's all about, you know, every episode is about taking out another name on the list. And then we wait all the way until the back half of the season to drop hints 
about more story points like the mother or the starling city organization behind you know behind the names on the list but no even from the first episode we're already already getting a reveal about the mother the third episode brings diggle into ollie's secret we get the whole reveal of the queen's gambit the ship that uh, went down um being you know that that the mother brought the ship for um, leverage we have by the end of these nine episodes we have the archer opposite um we already have ollie trying tasked to do better on his quest for justice right diggle says look you know you can be about these names or it can also be about helping starling city in other ways to get out of the darkness um and then ollie kind of passes that along to the huntress so it, I think it moves nicely for nine for only nine episodes. Again, I think it could have done a lot worse. It could have done like the first season of Smallville where it was a freak of the week every week. Um, and it also moves away from the typical CW way of shooting and the way of um, the CW likes to build characteristics, um, build interplay between characters, based on romance rather than on the story itself. Uh, most of the CW shows I've seen have been about teens, so and this one isn't about teens, which is nice. So it's still high drama, but it's surprisingly subdued in trying to make the romances the main part of the storyline, for now, which I know that might change. Um, what else? I love the island subplots, the flashbacks. You know, we're so used to flashbacks nowadays in so many shows. It's going slow in chronological order. I think by episode nine, he's only been on the island for about a week or so. We know it's a prison. It has the one character from the comics, um, Eddie Fires. I believe his name is um, the Chinese general. Um, I like the flashbacks. Again, it's kind of going kind of slow, but it uh, it's nice. It's not random. It helps the main storyline. And there are already teases of things that I want to see develop more. Uh, we have Starling City and the plot to, I don't know, make it better, whatever that organization wants to do. Mora, uh, Ollie's mother, seems to think that the organization will be responsible for thousands of deaths. I don't know what that means. It feels kind of like Ra's al Ghul in Gotham, but we'll see. Um, what else? The fighting is good. The The choreography is great. Um uh, there were only a few times when he's running from bullets being shot at that I kind of think, eh, that's a little stretch of the imagination. But man, has he had some intense training prior to this, prior to filming. I mean, there are some things that he can do, and, and they like showing off what he can do, <laughs> which I think is great. I think it's really great that he's able to do a lot of the stunts, if not all of the stunts. Um, obviously, there are some stuntmen here and there, but um, he's able to do some things, which is nice. Um, the characters are strong. Um, I love the mother. I think she's great. She's a good actress. Laurel, unfortunately, doesn't have a lot to do right now. She feels like a prop, a little bit of a tool, bouncing between Ollie and Tommy Merlin, and she doesn't have much to do, but um, you have to imagine that there's some aspect um, something that's going to be built because eventually she has to be Black Canary, right? I mean, this is her. That's Laurel Lance. Um, Felicity has only been around for a little bit. She's clearly the Lucius Fox of this universe. Thea gets a little annoying, but that's because the writers constantly bounce her back and forth between being friends with Ollie and not being friends with Ollie and yelling at him, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
There's a lot of stuff that's pulled from Green Arrow Year One by Andy Diggle and Jock, which I've never read. And I have to imagine that the new 52 Green Arrow universe has been affected by this as well. Apparently, the character played by Kelly Hugh, called China White, was in the Year One comic, which I didn't know. Um, We've gotten Deadshot. We've gotten Deathstroke, which was cool to see. Although it was a little weird to see him having the orange and black mask if he still has two eyes. So that was a little strange. Um... The one character of Derek Reston, which was the family that was robbing banks, and they all wore masks um, that had card faces on them, like the King of Spades or the Ace of Spades. But that character, Derek Reston, has been in comics before, uh, so that's kind of cool. And even though I'm nine episodes in, I do know things will happen later. I know that Captain Lance is still around as of season four, season five, whatever they're on. I know that Diggle is still around. Unfortunately, I know that Tommy Merlin is gone because I looked up the actor's info to see how old he was compared to John Barrowman, who plays his father, and if they could actually be father and son. And the character info of Tommy Merlin had his birth date and also had his death date. Boo. Spoilers. Boo, boo, boo. Um, But obviously Merlin is a character, um, you know, within the Green Arrow universe, Um, and Tommy Merlin is a product of the New 52 universe, I believe, so that's kind of nice to have that connection. Um, there's an episode coming up called Vertigo. I don't know if that has to do with Count Vertigo, but that would be cool. Um, and that's about it as far as DC connections, wider connections, but, uh, again, I like the story. I like, I like the show. I'm digging it. It's, I'm taking my time watching it. I watched about six episodes, and then I took a break, and then I watched them all again, and now I'm up to episode nine, where he just fought the archer, the dark archer, I guess he's known as, and um, making him believe that there's something more going on with this organization behind the scenes, behind the scenes uh, and behind that list. So I'll be interested to see where the rest of the season goes, and I will talk about the back half of this season once I am done. So thank you, David, for giving me a little bit of a push. All right, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 323 for Thursday, October 29th. Talk with you soon.